Well, welcome again to Journey Church this morning. I'm really glad to see you all here today. And uh, if we haven't met, I'm Aaron Poor. I'm the associate pastor here at Journey Church. Pastor Sean and Becca and their families are uh, there, and Sean and uh, Caitlin Phillips as well. So we got a whole big crew that are gone on a trip to Colorado, Utah. They're having a great time camping and hiking and all that stuff. So Pastor Sean asked me to speak this weekend, and I was really happy to be able to do it because we're in this new series that uh, he kicked off a couple weeks ago, the What If series. And I really, really love this message series because I like the What If question because it kind of forces you to think critically about whatever it is that the you know that is the subject of the conversation and so last week pastor Sean talked about what if giants are about to fall did any of you guys get a chance to hear that if you if you missed that you really need to go back and listen to it because it's it it hits hard in a good way So what if giants are about to fall? But like I said, I like the what if question. I like it. And it's an important question. Now, I know this maybe sounds kind of obvious, but it's an important question if the subject of the question is an important subject. So the what if question is only as important as whatever it is we're talking about, right? So I could say, what if my car breaks down in a blizzard? That's an important question. I need to know the answer to that. I I need to know. I want to figure that out now, not then, right? What if that painting that your uncle gave you is worth a million dollars, right? You know, it's like you could take it to Antiques Roadshow and find out. You want to know what if, right? That's important. What if Walmart runs out of Doritos on game day? I guess it's subjective. To some people, maybe that's an important what if question. It's not that big of a deal to me. So the subject matter gives weight to the what if. So how important is this question? What if God's people humbled themselves and prayed? What if God's people humbled themselves and prayed? Again, the subject matter is what gives weight to the question. So this question is only as important as we believe that prayer is important, right? So if if your opinion on prayer, and I'm not being critical at all here, I'm just we're just trying to, you know, just practical here for a moment. If your opinion on the importance of prayer is, yeah, it is important, but in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of just one thing and and you know. There's a lot of other important things too. Then that may influence how important you think this question is. On the other hand, if you think prayer is really, really important, then this question is going to kind of make you sit up and take notice. And so let me clarify what I mean. I'm not talking about prayer in in the context of you should go home this afternoon and, and say a quick prayer. I'm talking about What if God's people stepped into a radical lifestyle of prayer? So when I say prayer from here on out, that's what I'm talking about, that. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, uh, 
when you've got Taco Bell in front of you and you're like, Lord, please bless this food. Please, please make this food. You know, uh, I'm, I'm talking about a radical lifestyle of prayer. So here's a question. I think to really get at this what if question, we have to answer a couple or at least ask a couple of other questions first to kind of get a, uh, you know, a run at it. So another question I think we need to ask to be able to answer what if God's people humbled themselves and prayed is this. How important is prayer? Because like I said, you may have, in this room here alone, we may have varying opinions on how important prayer is. How important is prayer? So let's try to go ahead and quantify this somehow. You know, let's, let's just say one out of a hundred, right? And, and again, you know, don't give me like a, and don't answer out loud. Let's just keep it all up here. Don't give me like a knee-jerk Sunday school answer. Think about it. How important is prayer? One out of 100. You know, 75 out of 100? 85? 99 out of 100? So, to, to, like I said, we got to back up a little bit. To answer that question, to really be able to pinpoint how critical, how significant, how important prayer is in your life, or if we zoom out in the life of the church as a whole, we got to ask one more question. What is prayer? What is it? What, are, what is it we're talking about when we say prayer? Are we all talking? Are we thinking about the same thing? Am I thinking about one thing, but you're thinking about now I lay me down to sleep? Or, you know, what are we talking about when we say prayer? Is it a routine? Is it a spiritual discipline? Um, is it an obligation? Is it just a part of what you got to do if you want to be called a Christian? Is it the thing you do to get saved? I don't, what is prayer? And, well, let me tell you this. It, it can't just be a spiritual discipline. Now, it is part of what you would call spiritual disciplines, but it can't just be that. It has to be a relationship. It has to be a relationship. Now, I used this um, analogy a couple months ago in a different message, but if you were to sit down with your spouse, those of you who are, who are married, and you were to say, um, because you're so generous, you were to say, spouse, um, I commit to you from 9 a.m. to 9.15 and from 9.45 p.m. to 10 p.m., I commit to you to ask a series of questions and make a series of requests and to listen intently to you for 30 seconds. Your, your marriage would probably be in jeopardy, or your, let's put it this way, your relationship would probably be in jeopardy. But there are some people who treat prayer in this way. It's, it's not just an obligation. It's not just a spiritual discipline. It's a relationship. And the reason, this is, we had, uh, 
I've, I've talked to several people this morning. Um, they were asking about, you know, how did it go last night and things like that. And um, Saturday nights sometimes for me, this doesn't happen with Pastor Sean because he is a hyper-polished, world-famous public speaker. But for me, sometimes I'll go home on a Saturday night and I'll think, I just don't feel like I communicated that one thing effectively. And the one thing I was wrestling with last night was, am I really getting across why we pray, how important prayer is? I feel like I am, but I'm not sure. And, you know, our relationship with God is the reason, the reason why we were created. He wanted to be a father with a family. It's the reason why we exist, and prayer is how we relate to God. So it should point to prayer's significance in our life. A.W. Tozier, who is one of my favorite go-tos when it comes to anything about pursuing God, A.W. Tozier has a quote that is so simple but so powerful. It says, the key to prayer is simply praying. The key to prayer is simply praying. It's not knowing about prayer. It's not being well-educated on prayer. It's not being knowledgeable about prayer. It's not being able to quote scriptures about prayer. It's actually in the praying, right? Most church-going Christians can quote 2 Chronicles 7.14, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. A lot of you guys can just start quoting that just as soon as I start saying it. It's been quoted hundreds of thousands of times in the last couple years especially. But knowing 2 Chronicles 7.14 doesn't actually make anything change, right? And it's interesting because this verse actually has written into it four action steps. Four action steps. Which implies that there are four things that we do if we want to see the result and the effect of this verse. So the four action steps, humble yourself, pray, seek God's face, turn from your wicked ways, which is just another way of saying repent, right? Humble yourself, pray, seek God's face, repent. And by the way, these are in the proper order, okay? Because here's why. A lifestyle of prayer will lead to or make it possible to live a lifestyle of purity. This goes against religion. And when I say religion, just in case you're like, wait a minute, I thought this was church and church is religion. And no, when I talk about religion, I'm talking about man's attempt to reach God. What we're a part of here is God's reaching us through Jesus, through his son. So religion will say, Here's the proper order. First, humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways. 
Then and only then will you be pure and able to stand before a holy God in prayer. And it twists the order. And it, and it sends a message to you which, just to be totally honest, is a demonic lie that's meant to put the ability to approach God on your righteousness rather than the righteousness of Jesus. Because when you do that, and you believe that until I purify myself enough and turn from enough wicked ways, I can't pray. And we're talking about prayer this morning. But what that does is that basically tells you, you can never pray. You're never going to be able to pray. You can't be a part of that relationship because when you start down that path of it's my righteousness that gets me there, you, you eventually figure out I'm never going to be righteous enough. Paul talked about, <laughs> the apostle Paul said, my righteousness is like filthy rags. And I will let you, if you choose to, you can go do a word study on what he meant when he said filthy rags. It's a little bit gross. But that's what Paul said, our righteousness on our own, apart from Jesus, is. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that, we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's by the righteousness of Christ that we are even able to stand before God and relate to God and do this thing that we call prayer. It's because of Jesus. It's his righteousness, not our own. So to go back to the proper model, the proper order of Chronicles 7.14, you could say it like this. When you humble yourself and pray and seek God's face, then you will be made free to turn from wicked ways. So, a lifestyle of prayer will make it possible to live a lifestyle of purity. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with someone about the idea of getting deeper into a relationship with God, knowing God, praying, all of these types of things, and they've said, I just don't feel like I can do that because of what I've done, right? Many times, many countless times I've heard people say that. I don't feel like I can be close to God because of what I've done. But see, that person doesn't understand that being close to God is not based on what you've done. It's based on what he's done. And that's our, the blood of Jesus is our entry point to a relationship with God. So his part was to send his son, his holy son, the Lamb of God. Your part is to pray. Your part is to pray. Well, wait a minute. What about evangelizing the world and healing the sick and feeding the hungry and all those things? Well, yeah, we're, those, are, that's, that's, those are all things we're supposed to do. But those things all come out of prayer. See, I don't see prayer as a part of a list of things that we, you know, okay, be sure that you do this and you do this and you do this. I see prayer as like the core. And from that core, 
that foundation, maybe that'd be a better analogy, you build those other things upon that. Because again, prayer is the relationship. And the relationship with God is the foundation. It's, it's what we build all that other stuff on. So your part is to pray and pray regularly. Uh, you know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And I love that verse because it just messes with your mind a little bit. How are you supposed to pray without ceasing? You can. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. That's where it's at in the Bible. I'm praying right now while I'm talking to you. I'm praying because I'm aware that God is actively with me and I'm listening for him to speak to me and guide me and lead me if I need to go another direction. I'm aware that he's with me and I'm in a state of prayer right now. And you can pray without ceasing. Um, There's this passage of a few verses that my wife Sarah and I, we pray through every single day. We start every single morning uh, praying through these verses. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you will be familiar with it, but it's, the, it's those verses that talk about, and I'm so fascinated with this whole idea. It's, they, it talks about how God has a set of armor. And you're like, why does God need armor? Well, God doesn't need armor. But he has armor, and he gives it to us. Because the Bible calls it the whole armor of God. And so it has this wonderful list of metaphors, and it's an analogy of how salvation is like a helmet that protects our head or our thinking, and righteousness is like a breastplate. And it goes through listing all of these things, And then at the end, after it tells you what all of these different things are that God has provided for you, it tells you what to do. And a lot of times people don't include this verse. So Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times, at all times. So we are praying without ceasing. And again, the question might pop up in your head, how can you pray without ceasing? Well, it's just, it's kind of like how you can breathe without ceasing, right? I mean, if you, if you cease breathing, then there's an immediate problem. And we are supposed, to, we are supposed to, to have prayer active in our life to the same level of expectation, and it should be as natural to us as breathing. There isn't any situation, there is not any situation in your life that you can't pray about. And I'm just, man, I, when I say pray, And I think part of what was hanging me up last night, I'm kind of figuring this out right here in the moment, is this really isn't a message on how to pray. This is a message on what would happen if God's people prayed. But there are moments where it's important that you understand how to pray. So 
when, when I say there, there aren't any moments in life that you can't pray about them, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to constantly ask God, should I do this or should I do that? It might just mean that you just talk to God about it. If, if you imagine Jesus literally in physical form walking around with you throughout your day, you would be in a constant conversation with him. You'd be talking with him all day long. Some of the things you talk about might be really weighty, significant issues. Some of the things you talk with him about might be lighthearted issues. They might even be funny or humorous. And it might, but it would be, he would be with you all day, or it might be more accurate to say you would be with him. But that's what prayer looks like. And... Um, <laughs> I didn't share this last night. You're going to see a video here in just a second that only is a few minutes long, but it took me like 20, 25 times to do it. And the, the, one of the last times I was trying to do this video, um, I had a little microphone cable that was coming off uh, of a microphone. And on the very last word, I made like a hand gesture and I hit the microphone cable and the whole camera fell over. And I had done it so many times, you know, and, and I'm like, I just put my head down and I just, I told God, I said, I bet you're laughing, aren't you? And I think he was, but see, that's what prayer can look like. That's how you can pray without ceasing. So I, uh, I, I taught guitar for 30 years on and off for 30 years. And in the course of all those years, I had lots and lots of different kinds of students. I had little kids starting out. I had adults that were uh, good players and everything in between. And one of the things that I learned myself in that process that I always tried to communicate to anybody that was taking lessons is that you don't become a guitar player at the guitar lesson. You become a guitar player in practice. So if your lesson is at Tuesday at 4.30, you don't become a guitarist at Tuesday at 4.30 each week. You learn how to become a guitarist at Tuesday at 4.30 each week. And when you go home and you get your guitar out of the case and you practice, that's where you become a guitar player. Because I would have students that would come in and they would get their guitar out and they would play and I'm like, you didn't practice, did you? And they're like, well, I didn't have time, you know? And I, I would I try to explain to them, you know you're not going to grow just coming here. I'm just telling you how to grow. You have to do that in practice. And so it's in the practice of prayer where you grow in love and power and in your relationship with God. It's in the application, not the lesson. Now you need the lesson, but you won't see anything change without the practice. So here's the obvious application of that. Change doesn't happen here, in church, on the weekend. Change happens when you take what you heard what you heard God say, what God's word says, and you walk it out. Change happens when you don't just lean into truth, where you actually walk in truth, where there's forward motion. 
So what I'm telling you right now isn't changing anything. It's just telling you how change is possible. And so when you leave here, you can put it into practice and you can see something actually happen. So back to the main thing. What if we prayed? What if we prayed? What if you prayed? I'm assuming there's got to be a handful of people in here that have seen some of the Spider-Man movies, right? There's got to be. There's got to be some nerds in, out here somewhere. Okay. Oh, yeah. I love it. You kept your hand up even after I said, okay. Hey, I'm one. So the Spider-Man movies uh, are, are typically, when it comes to Spider-Man, um, it's, it, it pretty much breaks all people into four categories. You've got the Tobey Maguire category. You've got the Andrew Garfield category. You've got the Tom Holland category. And then you've got the why are we talking about Spider-Man category? <laughs> I'm in the Tom Holland camp. So, but in all of those categories, there's always this, the, the first movie, right? The origin story where Peter Parker figures out something happened, something changed. And regardless of who the actor is or whatever, there's always that scene where he realizes Okay, I can stick to walls, I can jump super high, I can, I'm super strong, and depending on the movie, I can shoot webs out of my wrist. And he, he, when he gets that realization, he just celebrates. He goes crazy, he hoops and hollers, and he jumps from building to building, and he goes out and he just explores this new truth, this new reality, this ability that he's discovered inside of himself. And what I'm saying today is this. If you're not praying as a lifestyle, I mean as a culture of prayer, where prayer is like this core of who you are and what you do, if you're not doing that yet, you're like Peter Parker who has not yet figured out this new reality. It's right there. It's right there. There's this connection with the God of all creation. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside you. And so that prayer connects us to the rea that reality because it connects us to God. So uh, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Now, Everybody in here knows this is true. Life is a series of challenges. Life is a series of battles. And there are mountaintops and there are valleys. Everybody knows that. You're gonna, if you haven't, you're going to figure it out. Prayer changes the setting of the battle. It's kind of interesting when you pray, you don't always get specifically what you're asking God to do, but prayer changes things. And prayer changes the setting and the circumstances of the battle. It elevates it up to a different place where God is moving, you are at peace, you are at rest, your mind is thinking clearly, you see the end 
you see God's power, you experience God's love, it changes the circumstance. And so prayer changes the setting of the battle. So we need to change the setting right now. So you know what that means, guys. It's video time. So let's go ahead and roll the video. Okay, so like I said, prayer changes the battlefield. Now, I don't have a battlefield to come to you uh, on for this illustration, but I do have just a plain old regular field. So it's just gonna have to do. Now, last week, Pastor Sean talked about the anointing. He talked about David facing Goliath. And while I was sitting there listening to him preach, I couldn't help but think about how David went and he collected five stones that he carried with him into battle, into victory. And it made me think about how prayer can be divided into five types of prayer. And I kept thinking about those stones that David carried into victory and these five types of prayer. So what I wanna do is I want to go over these five types of prayer that should really be a part of our daily living, a part of our culture, and a part of our lifestyle. So the first type of prayer we're gonna talk about is praise and worship. Yes, praise and worship is a type of prayer. We, I know that it's music and we sing songs and we call that praise and worship, but it's really, music is just kind of a subcategory of this idea of worship. And we worship God in prayer. And it's simply acknowledging His greatness, His goodness, thinking about His glory, setting aside intentional time to contemplate the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and then our hearts respond in worship. And if you want to know how important prayers of worship are, all you have to do is look at what Jesus said. His disciples said, Lord, how should we pray? And then he answered them by saying, pray like this. And he gave them a model prayer. And this model prayer starts with worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that model prayer ends with praise and worship. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Prayers of praise and worship are so important that we start with worship and we end with worship. Another type of prayer are prayers of petition or intercession. Petition or intercession. These are so important because this is simply making your request made known to God. And I'm using that language very specifically and intentionally right now because Philippians 4, 6 talks about how you can be free from anxiety forever. It actually says that we don't have to be anxious about anything, but the way, one of the ways that we do that is by making our requests made known to God, petition and intercession. Intercession is praying for other people. Intercession is where you are interceding for your nation, for your city, maybe the schools in the, in the city of Liberty. You're interceding for your neighbor. You're interceding for people that you love that don't know Jesus. And so prayers of petition and intercession, another type of prayer. Now there's another type of prayer called supplication. Prayers of supplication. Now you may not be familiar with that word supplication, but I'm willing to bet that you do pray that way because a prayer of supplication is really a humble crying out to God, especially in a time of need. So this is where you're in a fix, right? You are in a bad spot and you're saying, God, I need you. I need you now. I can't do this. Only you can help me. 
this is a humble prayer of petition, kind of like petition and intercession, but this is deeper and more humble. This is more of a crying out to God. And so that's a prayer of supplication. And actually in Philippians 4, that's another part of being free from anxiety. It says that we make our requests made known to God with one of the things is supplication. So prayers of supplication is a type of prayer. Another type of prayer is thanksgiving, prayers of thanksgiving. And this is something that I, I'm willing to bet that you also do fairly regularly, whether you realize it or not, because you could be praying a prayer of thanksgiving when you sit down to dinner. Thank you, Lord, for this food. You could be praying a prayer of thanksgiving when you end your day, laying down at night to go to bed. Thank you, Lord, for this day. It can be a short, simple prayer, thanking God. It can also be something much more deep, much more meaningful and significant. You can actually set aside time to thank God for his consistency, his mercy in your life. You can recount all of the times that God has blessed you, helped you, delivered you, healed you. You can sit down with a journal and write these things out. And prayers of thanksgiving are very powerful because the book of Psalms actually says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. So thanksgiving is an entry point to the presence of God. Now you may be saying, well, what, I haven't been in the presence of God before. Or maybe you say, I haven't been in the presence of God for a long, long time. You need to be praying prayers of thanksgiving, intentional, maybe very long drawn out times of uh, prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God, recounting his goodness, his faithfulness in your life. The last type of prayer I want to just mention are prayers of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is simply exercising and applying our authority in the name of Jesus in spiritual battle. Now, spiritual warfare can become something that we highly, highly, highly over-exaggerate and we, we treat everything in life as if it's a spiritual battle when it really is not. But there are times that we absolutely need to be praying prayers of spiritual warfare. Jesus calls us to do the same works that he did. And he said, the reason I came into this world was to destroy the works of the devil. So we are supposed to, with the weapons of our warfare, like Paul talks about, pull down strongholds. So we pray prayers of spiritual warfare. So we're talking about prayers of worship, prayers of intercession, prayers of supplication, thanksgiving, and spiritual warfare. All five of these types of prayers should be in our lifestyle and our culture every single day. You know, I wish I had a little bit more time um, to, to just do a deeper dive into each one of those. They could probably be their own, uh, you know, series Intercession is much deeper than what I talked about in there. Supplication is much more complex than the little snippet of information I gave you. But I hope that what that conveys and gets across is that when you break this, when you break this idea of prayer down into praise and worship, petition, intercession, supplication, thanksgiving, spiritual warfare, you can see very quickly how prayer becomes something that you're doing all the time, because all of those categories are active in our life, um, probably 
in one given day. So you can see how big a part of our life prayer is meant to be. And I don't even like, like I said, I don't even like describing it as a part of our life. I really think it's the core of our life. So there's always a temptation to take something like prayer. And remember what I said at the very beginning. When I say prayer, I'm not talking about, thank you, Lord, for this food. Now I lay me down to sleep. When I say prayer, I'm talking about a radical lifestyle of continuous prayer. That's what I mean. But there's a temptation to take something like prayer and try to make it more accessible to our culture. You know, uh, well, man, people are, people are so busy and their schedules are so packed full. If, it would be such a huge win if we could just get people to just pray a little bit more. And I'm not saying that wouldn't be good. It, it would be good. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, well, let me put it this way. I would rather see five people who chose to enter into a lifestyle of radical prayer than, than 500 people who would be willing to consider praying a few more minutes a day. I think that would be a bigger impact for the kingdom of God. If you had five people who said, I'm in, this is what I'm all about. There's an interesting verse that um, you've, you've heard before. And there's something in there that I think is, is, it points to the significance of prayer, but we can miss it if we're not careful. Matthew 9, 37, 38, it says, then he, that's Jesus, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If it's God's will to send laborers into the harvest, and just in case you don't know what this is talking about, when he says the harvest is plentiful, he means there are scores and scores and multitudes of people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. They're ready to hear it, but there are so few people willing to tell them. That's what he's talking about. And so he says, so pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest. So if it's God's will for people to be sent, then why, why doesn't he just send people? Why do we need, why is there a step, in other words, why is there a step in that process of us praying for God to do that? Well, prayer is a critical piece. And if you remove it, or, or if you exclude it, or if you ignore it, then you're missing a critical piece for how that works. If you go back, and you study great moves of God, great revivals, the Great Awakening One, Great Awakening Two, Hebrides, Welsh Revival, all these things, Jesus people, all these things that happened where we see thousands and thousands of people at this, over this one span of time come into the kingdom of God, this huge spike in salvation and healing and miracles and all of these things happening you will always find a group of people that are pioneers and trailblazers in prayer. Prayer is breaking up the ground 
that plants seeds for those moves of God. So if great men and women who started revivals, raised people from the dead, led thousands of people to Jesus, had a lifestyle of radical prayer, let's go back to the beginning, what if? What if we did that? What if? What would it look like? What would happen? Let's just make it real. Let's bring it out of the abstract into reality and practicality. What would happen in your personal life if, hypothetically speaking, you were to pray two hours a day? Now, as soon as I say that, there are people in this room that's like, I wish I had two hours. Because you're really busy. I mean, you might be working two jobs. I mean, it might not just be an issue of making time. You may just not have the time. But for, for, the, for the present moment, let's just speak hypothetically here. What if? What would happen if you were to pray two hours a day? Intentionally set aside that time. Intentionally invest that time. Take your calendar. Carve out that time. What if? What would happen? It would produce fruit. It would produce fruit. It just would. It's just a principle of how the kingdom of God works. It just works. It just would produce fruit. There would be results. Fruit would come out of that connection with God. We just got done with a a message series on the fruit of the Spirit. And you heard us say over and over again how the fruit of the Spirit is actually the evidence of a right connection with the Spirit of God. If you have an apple tree on your property and you go out there, you're not going to hear the tree saying, I claim this fruit. I speak over this fruit. I release this fruit now. Let let this fruit be released. No, it just drinks in water, soaks in sunlight, and fruit is the result. The fruit is the automatic result and evidence that it's rightly connected. I should say that one more time. The fruit is the automatic evidence that it is rightly connected. I'm coming in for a real landing here. Um, Last year, uh, I got to go on a sabbatical. It was an interesting and an amazing experience. And during that time, I went up into the mountains to a tiny little cabin to spend one week just praying. And I really didn't know what to expect, um, but what happened is God spoke. And what he, what he told me was things about me. And he told me things about the condition of my heart, my, you know, spiritually speaking, my heart. And he showed me things that I just completely missed, was completely ignorant of. And as soon as he showed me these things, I immediately repented, and I have been free from ever since that moment. But I just was moving too fast and too busy, and my schedule was too, I was spinning so many plates that I wasn't slowed down enough 
to hear. And that was a game changer. Now, let me say this immediately. You do not have to go to the mountains to a tiny cabin in order for that to happen. You just have to make time in prayer. During that same period of time, my wife, Sarah, she did the same kind of a thing. She went away, she prayed, she sought God. And God told her, you have a shed in your backyard. I want you to take that and I want you to change it in to a prayer cabin. And over the course of a lot of time and help from different people here, uh, we did it. And the results of that have been amazing in my life, in her life, in other people that have come out. Pastor Sean and Becca are now building one of those in their backyard. Uh, Chris, when he spoke, a, I don't know, it's like a year or two ago, talked about how there was a, there's a, a room up in the upstairs of his house. He converted it into a prayer room. What is that saying? That's, that's examples of people intentionally setting aside a time and a place for prayer. Because it's a priority. Because it's important. Because it's, it's, it's the core of who we are. So, uh, let me close up by saying this. And the band can go ahead and come on back up here. The purpose of this message is not to just call you to prayer, but it's to call you to be a praying people. The purpose is not to just call you to prayer, it's to call you to a lifestyle of prayer. Before we evangelize the world, feed the hungry, heal the sick, disciple people, we have to be a people that has a culture and a lifestyle of prayer. It has to be how we identify ourselves. ourselves. And God promised you that if you pursue him, he will respond. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For we know that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you seek him, there is a reward and it's him. So I want to challenge you. A simple challenge. And actually, we're getting ready to worship one more time. Let's go ahead and stand up and then let me, let me share this challenge with you. Actually, let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just, right now, Lord, I, I just pray that, that every heart here and even the people that are watching online, Lord, that you would let this moment be a moment of openness, awareness to what you're saying, and Lord, that you would allow us and, and uh, uh, empower us, Lord God, to be able to hear your call on our heart right now in the name of Jesus. I wanna challenge you over the course of this next week. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not just enough to have academic knowledge that God is good and have somebody tell you God is good. The Bible says that we should actually taste and see. We, have, we need to actually experience that God is good. And so I wanna challenge you for this next week. Carve out of your schedule an hour each day. 
Commit to pray for an hour each day for the next week. You can find it somewhere. Even those of you who are really busy, there's a way. There's a way to do it. Um, and let me tell you, if, you, if you're like, an hour? I have never prayed for an hour. What am I going to do for an hour? This is a whole other sermon, and I'm not going to get into it. But if you go to Matthew 6, you'll find that part of the Bible called the Lord's Prayer. And what it is, is it's a template. It's, a, it's a, an instruction manual on how to break down your time of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We worship him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray God's will first. We call the reality of God's kingdom here to earth. And we apply that to different areas. Our nation, the world, our city, our family. Give us this day our daily bread. You bring your needs to him. You present your petitions to him. God, I need to pay that electric bill. Lord, I'm bringing this to you and I trust you with that. Lord, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's any form of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness in your heart, release that person. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Pray for the protection and the peace of God over your day. And then you end with worship again. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Commit to do that for a week. And if you don't have an hour, take whatever time you can and make worship a big part of it. If you have 10 minutes, worship for eight minutes because worship puts you in a position where you can pray effectively. You can pray for a lot of things in two minutes, but make worship a big part of that. Father, right now, God, as we, we are here with our hands open, our lives uh, open to you, we're in a place of surrender to you right now, Lord God. Lord, we see you and we say, you are what we want. Lord, you are, you are everything we want. And Lord, we look at, at the world we live in and we know that this world needs you, God. Everybody in here, Lord, we have people that need you. And God, we just want you to flow through us, Lord. We want to be a conduit of your love and your power and your truth into this world. And so, God, we call on you right now, Lord God. Move in this city. Move in this country. Move in this world. And make us a people of prayer. In Jesus' name.